Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, our first through fifth graders, you guys are headed downstairs to your small group time. I think you got Troy and Cody leading you guys uh, today, uh, and you guys are going to have a great time with that. Um, so, welcome again to Movement Church. Today we're kicking off a brand new series and I gotta like issue like a Surgeon General's warning about it, okay? I've gotta give you some preface on some things because what we're gonna be talking about over the next three weeks is, is, has, has a lot to do uh, with our finances. We're talking about generosity. So a couple things before you guys make a break for the door or plan never to come back here again, right? Or if you're new and you're elbowing the person who brought you, like you're buying lunch, all right? Uh, here's the deal. Movement Church has never been in a more stable or better financial situation based on a couple obvious metrics. So Movement Church is a brand new church. We're only, we're only about five years old, and so like we're just figured out how to use the toilet, right? We've just figured out how to, how to make sense of that. Uh, but one of the things with us as a church is we have raised funds from the outside. There are, there are people that I know and churches that believe in this mission that, that want, want to be a part of this, and they've been a big part of that. But when we think about you guys and people that call Movement Church home, and that's a very important intentional distinction. We're not, if you don't call Movement Church home, we're not asking you to give Movement Church money. We're not asking you to be generous to Movement Church. But when we think about that, when we think about those folks and the ways in which you guys give, we're we're basically at like 93, 94% of covering our expenses. So that is vastly higher than we've ever been as a church. And so we are in this spot where we're, we're in a really good spot. So I want you to be clear up front. I'm not talking about generosity because I'm trying to get you guys to, to pry open your wallets. Like there's not going to be this, this thing at the end of this series in three weeks where we, uh, we pass down these, these commitment cards and you're going to sign up. We're going to do like this big like, I don't know, like paper mache thermometer. We're going to like put red as we get higher up. We're not going to do that. Like that's not what this is about. But this is what this is about. And this, this phrase is not original with me, but it's something that struck me. I think it's really, really important. It's simply this. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Because this is what we believe about generosity. This is what I think the Bible teaches. This is what we teach here at Movement Church. Is that we believe that the God of the Bible is a generous God. We believe the God of the Bible is a generous God, and that's so fully seen in Jesus. And what we believe about generosity comes from that. We believe that generosity doesn't just allow, you know, charities to happen, doesn't just allow uh, churches to pay a pastor's salary, keep the lights on, keep the air on. We believe that generosity is a better way forward. So when we say we don't want something from you, we want something for you, this means this. If you come to the conclusion that your generosity is not going to come to Movement Church, fine. You can have your reasons. We can talk about that's fine. We work really hard to have integrity. We work really hard to to steward and use those resources well. But if you make that decision, I'm not going to fault you. I would only fault you if you're not generous somewhere else. Okay? So that's really, really key for me. We're not talking about raising income here at Movement Church. We're talking about raising our level of generosity in all areas. But the easiest way to talk about this is we talk about money. And on every coin, every bill, since 1956, there's been a motto on there. Before that, there was a Latin motto, and it's still on there, but it was kind of replaced. The first one was e pluribus una, which means out of many, one. 
calling back to the origins of our country, this beautiful thing. But in the 1950s, there was a, there was a move, and, the, and Congress followed this move, that in the Cold War era, they needed, we needed to distinguish ourselves from the communists. And so they embraced this national motto that we have all heard is the name of the series, In God We Trust. And here's the thing that I find most interesting about that. We put In God We Trust on paper, on coins, and I don't think, I don't think it's appropriate because of this. I think so often, and this is true in my life, I put more trust in this than in God. That the very things we print on in God we trust, we can often find ourselves putting more trust in there. And this is what I mean. It feels nice to have a full bank account. It feels nice to have bills paid. As a man, I think in particular, and I know this is true for me, it feels really good to know I paid for that. Whether it be the clothes my kids back, their toys, food, whatever it is, it's nice to treat myself. I think about those things where I have provided. Look at the security I get from this. I feel better. But I think we are dealing with some things that are long held, things that are a real challenge when we talk about money. Some basic facts I want to share with you uh, here as we get started. The average credit card debt. The average credit card debt for an American household is $5,247. And because it's an average, some of you might be thinking, that sounds nice. The amount of interest an average American pays each year on those payments is more than 14% of their income. And the average American Christian gives about 1.4% of their income to the church. Last year, Northwestern Mutual did a study that said money is the number one cause of stress for Americans, whether relationships or work. Think about the people closest to you. Think about the stress in your life. It's often coming from money. Maybe it's your career and you're frustrated there, but maybe that's because you don't want to get paid more. You're you know, kind of beyond what you can cover. You know, your means are catching up with what you actually have. But here's the good news, and here's what we're going to try to talk about these next three weeks, that all that anxiety, all that stress, all that thing that you have, that when you think about money, I think that God has a better way forward. This is in my opinion when I look at Scripture. I think God has a plan to kind of break us free of that, to give us freedom and give us grace. So there's no catch here. There's no catch here. If you don't call moving church home, you can just watch. You can just observe. There's no catch here. This is simply that we find generosity. We find life when we put our trust only in God. And so when we talk about this move towards something like this, this trust, it starts with our attitude. So William James is kind of the father of, of modern American or, moder, or modern uh, psychology. Uh, I saw William James and some of the nerds out there thought, that's the baseball reference guy, but it's a different guy, William James. William James says, the greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. So if that's true, if that's true, let's run that through kind of some test questions. The writer of Proverbs says this. Proverbs are, is this kind of collection of, of wisdom and it's a collection of ethics and what we're doing. It's kind of very short, but it's kind of also connected. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. 
Think about that. Think about all the times in your life where you, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a career, maybe it's some sort of investment, maybe it's some, something you're going to do with your time. You think, this is great. This is going in the great direction. And as you get into it, you realize there's nothing there. Here are a few attitudes I think a lot of us have, and they'll be on the screen as well. Maybe for us, I know this is true for me at times, is that as long as I'm making my monthly payments, I don't have a problem with my finances. As long as I have enough money to go out to eat, to order a pizza, I don't have a problem with my finances. As long as I can take care of my family, have a little put away for the future, I'm good. And that third one really strikes home for me. I, I think about this a lot. If I, if I have this idea, and maybe you're sitting there and you hear these three things, and you say, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think that you might have more of a problem than you realize. I, I think that we often think that these are our goals, but I think it kind of shows us a blindness we have in this issue. See, I think we have a problem because many of us believe lies. We don't even know they're lies. And lies that can sound like truths. So the first lie that we see is this. That money and material things will satisfy me, right? And there's nothing better than getting something new. There's nothing better. That new car smell, I mean, I think heaven is going to be filled with new car smell. Like, this is an incredible thing. Like, 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 and you might, you can even rationalize it. You say, well, I'm going to use this to get around with my family. I'm going to use this for my business. I got to get to work. I got to have a reliable vehicle. And yeah, it's pretty nice because that's just a bonus, right? You know, you know we, often, we often think to ourselves, if, if we could just reach certain levels, we talk about keeping up with the Joneses and all these, these, these uh, cliches that we throw around, but we know we're guilty of. We say, if I could just get this, get rid of this car and get the one with, that's nicer, more reliable, and maybe we'll actually have Bluetooth, I can be satisfied then or I really need to update my wardrobe just like my friend has and plus you know what I deserve it if I could just build that outdoor patio that my neighbor has and I hate neighbors with nice things don't you that's just so frustrating um, if I could just build my outdoor patio like my neighbors then I'll be satisfied we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this this book written by King Solomon who probably contributed mostly to the Proverbs as well and also one of the wisest and wealthiest guys that the Bible talks about he says that whoever loves money never has enough whoever loves wealth is never never satisfied with their income think about your income I guarantee you you could use a little bit more I guarantee you, you think about that and you say you know what I could use a little bit more. And I bet most of us have a number where we said, if we could get to this place, then things will maybe calm down a little bit. Or I'll be able to do this. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's something with the house. Maybe it's something with, with, your, uh, with where you live and what you drive. This whole idea that if we just get a little bit more. But Solomon tells us that wealth never satisfies. And I think deep down we all know that it doesn't. The second lie that sounds like a truth is that it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my money. I've earned it. I'm the one that gets up early. I'm the one that doesn't miss a day. I'm the one that's put in the work. I'm the one who's earning this money. I've said this to myself. I've heard other people say this. And usually we're saying it when we're trying to justify not being generous. The psalmist in chapter 24 writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. See, the bottom line, biblical principle, if you don't, you can say, well, that's the Bible, I don't follow the Bible, that's fine, but the Bible says that we are not owners of our money or our possessions. That's a difference of attitude. That's a difference of understanding of where this comes from. 
It's saying that everything we have is a temporary loan. Everything we have is, is given to us that we are entrusted with it. And when you're entrusted with something, you are expected to use it well. So we have to ask ourselves with this lie, how can I honor God with everything that has been given to me? The third lie is this. All the church talks about is money. I remember when I was getting started and, and uh, the idea of, of starting this church was really fresh. One of the things that Heidi and my wife and I did was we went around to other churches. And, you know, if, if you're part of one church for a long time, you miss what other churches are doing. And so we go to this other church and we meet up. We just happen to run into some people that I grew up with, my friends of my parents. They didn't know they went to this church. And they said, yeah, we've been going here for a while and we just love it. I said, oh yeah, what are some things you love about it? I'm trying to learn. What is a good church? What does that do? We've been here a year, she said, and not once have they talked about money. I thought to myself, oh, that's odd. <laughs> it's odd because I think that this is something the church should talk about. And Jesus talks a whole bunch about money. Jesus talks about a whole, the Bible is full of all of this stuff. So here's some stats for you. 16 of the 38 parables, these parables, these kind of stories that are true but may not have actually happened, these stories that, that show a greater principle, 30, 38 of them, 16 of these 38 deal with money. In the New Testament, there is more there about money than heaven and hell combined. And five times throughout the whole Bible, five times more verses deal with money and possession than prayer, 2,000 to 500. We talk about money because Jesus talked about it. I think Jesus understood this trust issue, this trust issue that we place so much trust in our possessions. We place so much trust in our possessions as opposed to God. So instead of believing some lies that sounds like truths, believing some things that have that smack of truth, we have to start believing some truths that we read from the Bible. And yes, sometimes these things sound like lies. The first truth is this. Everything good comes from God. So what we have here is everything good comes from God. And, G and James, the half-brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus who grew up seeing all this, went through a period of time where it appears that he and the rest of his family doubted, walked away from this Jesus, kind of wrote him off, comes to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Like, this guy knows his big brother. I didn't have a big brother, but I was a big brother. I can't imagine what would have to have my little brother to believe that I was the son of God. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I'm the guy that would, like, you know, trip him when he was crawling along and, and, and tickle him until he peed himself just because I thought it was funny and, and tell him that this tasted good when it tasted terrible. And James, the little brother of Jesus, comes to have faith in him. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If I could be honest, I struggle with this idea. I struggle with this idea that every good thing comes from God. Because I've done some good things in my life. My kids are incredible. I don't care what you say. Your kid's the punk. <laughs> truth i get the mic <laughs> but but I, I struggle with this idea that every good thing comes from god because i look around and i think well i've done some good things 
I struggle with this idea that every good thing comes from God because I know I've put in the work on things and I have benefited from it. I struggle with this idea because I say I'm the one who has done it. And I'm, here's the truth. I think about all the things in my life that I have benefited from that I had nothing to do with. I had nothing to do with my birth. I had nothing to do with the kind of home my parents created for me to grow up in. I had nothing to do with the ways in which I have benefited from others. And when I step back and think, and I step away from that idea that I've done so much, and I really think about it, maybe I haven't done so much. And maybe I've benefited far more, and perhaps those things come from God. When we embrace this truth, our attitude changes. We start to free ourselves from this worry and anxiety when it comes to money and possessions. We become more grateful for what we have. So the second truth is, also sounds a little bit like a lie, is that God is the source of satisfaction. What does James say? He says that those things that do not change like shifting shadows. The bank account may not be where you want, but His presence, God's presence is always satisfying. The vacation might not be there, but He always invites us to rest. We, realize, we read in the Scriptures that God commands us to rest and to celebrate. You might not always be able to keep up with what your neighbor's doing and, and all of this. Later today, I'll be probably cutting grass and, and I'll look over my neighbor on the riding lawnmower just waving to me while I'm pushing that sucker that's not self-propelled except for me. And I think to myself, man, I wish I could have that riding lawnmower. Yeah, but in that, we have to believe that just as we are, we are accepted. It's because when God is the source of our satisfaction, when God is the source of that, that never-ending desire for more stuff is replaced or begun to be replaced with this ever-increasing desire for more of Him. My goal is not to make anyone feel guilty. My goal is not to make you feel like you are doing something wrong. My goal is to get you to see things differently. My goal is to get you to understand things differently. That, that God is the ultimate primary source of our satisfaction. And the third truth is this. Giving back to God is the way to freedom if it belongs to him and he gives it to me then a result of that is me giving back a portion is me giving something back and this is an action that releases us from that cycle of fear and worry and anxiety that we carry over money when i give back to god i'm placing my trust in him i've talked about this openly and this is not a badge of honor because i keep trying to back out of this commitment that my wife and i made she's the one that should be applauded in so many areas, but in this one in particular. One of the things that was challenged to me is that I grew up learning and being taught that you give 10% to the church, 10% before tax. You give, it, you give it first. You do all that. So we do that. And then I think, well, the rest is mine, which is not what the Bible teaches. And so over the last five or six years, we have tried to increase our percentage. We have tried to bump up every year. And this year, we did it again. And just recently, because of some things, you know, life happens, bills come in, I thought, hey, what if we just pull back a little bit? And Heidi looked at me like I had a third arm coming out of my head. Because I think she understands so much better than I, and she's not here, so I'm going to talk nice about her. She understands so much better than I that when we give back, we experience freedom. There's a little graphic that I want to show you that, that kind of just gives us an overview of what we're doing here, what we're going to challenge you with. It's called the generosity ladder. And it starts off very simply. We are challenging one another to give something. I don't know what your situation is. 
I don't know what your financial situation is. And if you're in a spot where you say, hey, I want to get to X, maybe for you it's 10%. Maybe for you, you want to be able to write that big check. And I think so often, because that goal is so big, we don't even take a step towards that. And so I would challenge you, if you're not giving anything, to give something. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of giving generously. This idea that sometimes we give and we think, all right, the rest is for me. But what does it look like to be generous in our giving? And, and oftentimes we got to do the hard work. We got to like do a budget. We got to figure out what, what is coming in so we can figure out what we can be generous with. And the third thing, and I, I hope I can get here someday, is to give extravagantly. We give extravagantly in a ridiculous way, in a way that makes people stop and say, How? How? Not because of the amount, but because of the way and the manner and the fact that when they look at that amount, they think about the percentage and it's striking to them. So this idea is kind of where we're going through, through all of this. But here's the challenge for today. Before we get into that generosity ladder, before we, we look further into this, my challenge is this. Show up next week. Give me another shot. Give me another shot to, to, to begin to explain this. Give me another shot to begin to, to put this in terms that is challenging. Like I said at the front end, this isn't because like, the lights are about to be turned off at this church. This isn't because we're about to close up the doors. This is about us understanding that generosity is better. We want to be a church that expands our generosity. We want to give extravagantly as a church. We want to be there in a way that shows up, that makes people notice. Our kind of vision for the church, what we want to be known for, where we want to be, is we want to be a church that if we disappeared, we would be missed. And one of the easiest ways, and one of the most profound ways we can do that, is to continue to be a generous church and take steps in that way. But that is not like some plan that I can come come up with. That is us as a community coming together. So I would challenge you. Keep an open mind here. If you say, I'm not being generous at Movement Church, that's fine. Because what I'm saying is if you're not generous, you're missing something. So if you can't be generous here, be generous somewhere else, please. Because I think you're missing out. And so ultimately for me, when I think about this, when I am challenged with these ideas, I I think about all the ways that this stuff messes with me. I think about all the passages of Scripture that I just kind of flip over, read through real quick. Because ultimately, this all has to come back and be personal. We all have to wrestle with these questions. And so as the band comes up, they're going to close us out in our time together here and kind of lead us for the rest of our time. What I want us to do is to begin thinking about the ways in which we are being challenged. Paul Paul, this guy who writes to, the, to these churches and, and, and starts up all these churches in the, that first generation of the church. And he goes around and he starts a church and he'll stay there a while and get things going. Then he'll go off and he'll start another church. Then he'll write back to some of those churches. And many of these letters we have today in the New Testament. And one of the things he writes to this guy named Timothy, this kind of this you know, mentor figure, this person, that, this young guy that Paul was the mentor to, this, this disciple that Paul is raising up, He writes to him about wealth and money because Timothy was weighing over his head. Timothy was weighing over his head and his church was nuts. And Paul writes this in chapter 6. 
He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. If you're honest with yourself, and you think about your finances, and you think about the stress that comes from that, is that what you had planned? Is that the ideal you were hoping for? You think about 20 years ago, and you were thinking about your life plan and where you would be and all this stuff. Is this where you thought you'd be? Is this where you wanted to be? Think about the ways in which there have been arguments with your spouse, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with, with, with people in your life that you care about about money. Think about all the guilt we've experienced when it comes to money. Sometimes from people like me in places like this. But what the Bible teaches and what Jesus points to is something better. This idea of generosity. This idea of generosity, and so many of you get this. Because this idea of generosity is better. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this. He said, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Here in a moment, we're going to open up these tables where you can come and you can take communion. When we do this, it leads...